Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Lex Factor. It's your host, Lauren, here. And I'm Yale. Yeah, I was going to say, are we going to do something big? Brad's not here. Well, I don't, I don't know that Brad's not here is a reason to do anything big. I mean, shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't we kind of keep it a little subdued? Shouldn't no, we? we like to celebrate when Brad's not here. Oh, Because okay. it's like it's competition. Like people could take his spot. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Brad's at Disney, Disney World, Disneyland. I always forget which one's which. That Disney World is in Florida and Disneyland is in California. Okay. He is in Disney Disney World. Euro Disney is in Paris. Probably Europe, yeah. 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 (laughs) So Brad is down in Florida living the life while we're here in the office doing all the work. So it is what it is. He can have it. He can have it. I'm not a Disney person. <laughs> no? No, I am I totally not. thought you were a Disney person. I am not a Disney person. I'm a Dizzy person, <laughs> but I'm not a Disney person. Good to know. Good to know. Um, today, we're actually here with Katina Peters. So she is with PJs and Company, and you guys have probably heard the name because we've done some work with them in the past. They're a partner of ours. So welcome, Katina. It's amazing to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here and enjoy uh, the banter with you. Yeah. <laughs> Katina, you have uh, a virtual uh, alphabet soup within your title. You are uh, v- I like that. V CFO, oh, small V, large CFO, CPA, and CGMA. Now, V CFO, virtual CFO. Right. Okay. Yep. Oh, <laughs> distinguish, okay. distinguish for our audience uh, the difference between a virtual CFO and, uh, I guess, a three-dimensional CFO. <laughs> She's yeah. not real. She's actually a hologram. Yeah, all digital. No, yeah, no. I mean, basically, it's the same role, right? You're still doing the uh, CFO things, um, but just doing it um, virtually, right? So we're working kind of like we are here, you know, talking over the phone, working on Zoom, you know, things like that. Working with our clients um, and being their CFOs, Um, and the way we do it is a matter of a fractional. Uh, situation. So it's, you know, we have, we're not necessarily their full-time CFO um, because they usually are a little bit smaller, maybe that they aren't looking to hire someone at a 200 plus, you know, salary a year. um, And we can fill in the gaps for them, help them grow their business, understand, you know, their financial things like that. So you're, you're kind of like the um, uh, net jets of financial uh, executives, so to speak, with that fractional (laughs) ownership piece. And then you're also a CG GMA, which is Chartered <laughs> Global Management Accountant. Um, yes. What does that entail exactly? We know. I, I think most people here know what a CPA is, but a CGMA. Uh, what is the what is the distinguishing factor there? Sure. And the distinguishing factor of that is it just uh, speaks to the experience level of what I've done, you know, in the past. It talks about, you know, management accounting is a little bit different in that you're looking really at the operations of the business and the KPIs and performance and those kinds of things. So um, doing that uh, at a level that is really kind of 
tied more into operational. You know, you can be a CPA and just kind of be on the outside and doing the tax return and doing the financial statements, but, you know, being in, in the midst of things with the uh, management accounting side of things, it's really how it's kind of what it sounds like. It's, you know, managing the business by accounting. Um, So that's part of what we do to help businesses, you know, grow and succeed. So kind of almost like a a, a single person, self-contained executive suite. What a, what a, cool, what, a, what a cool thing. What a cool thing. She must have a huge salary, right? Absolutely. Did you say salary? Are we going to talk about salaries today? Oh, my. I didn't even try to do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is actually probably my my weakest conversation. So you guys are going to have to carry this one. But uh, accounting finance, it's it's not top of my brain. I'm, I'm a marketing gal, but well, I, I just spend the money, right? The, there, you, there you go. Yeah. Well, the, the last advanced mathematics that uh, I got was uh, Algebra 2 in 1985. So well, that's uh, when I was born. I'm, and that'll be the podcast for and today. Thank you all for tuning in. Yeah. You're going to leave now. That's hilarious. As our, as, as our host wobbles out of the studio, uh, dejected and defeated man. Yeah. Well, Lauren, if it makes you feel any better, I always say that marketing is my one exception to cutting costs. I want to set a marketing budget Thank based you. on what makes the business grow and you want to spend it wisely. But if you don't spend the money, you're not going to attract what you want. So yeah, you got to spend money to go. make money. It is literally our number one fight as marketers. It, it happens all the time. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to immediately cut marketing. Um, and it's hard. It's a tough one. Yep. But um, before we actually dive into talking compensation and money, why don't you give us a little background on yourself and uh, PJs as well, too? Okay, sure. No problem. Um, so, uh, well, you gave all my credentials already, so you all <laughs> <laughs> know that part about was I me. Supposed to, was I supposed to provide a spoiler alert? Did yeah, I, you <laughs> ruined it. I've yeah, ruined I mean... everything, and yet you keep bringing me back. <laughs> There's no one else. <laughs> so I have a, a interesting history um, coming into the accounting world. I actually started working in accounting when I was in high school. Oh, um, wow. To for a friend of my father's who owned an accounting firm and I was, took an accounting class in high school and was kind of interested and wanted to see what it was like. And um, so I worked after school and uh, then ultimately stayed with that firm for 17 years, oh, uh, wow. working through different positions. And as I earned my degree, going through college and ultimately became a partner in that firm. At so, age 23? Um, did I read that somewhere that you became mm-hmm. a partner at age 23? Yeah, age twenty three, yep. I could barely keep a house plant yeah, alive. That's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> pretty impressive. I still can barely keep a house plant alive, but it's <laughs> a little different skill set. I think. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You can pay somebody to keep it alive, right? Right. right. <laughs> so, yep. So, yeah, you're right. That's uh, that's the age. And then, um, I, as we, you know, working kind of in your typical uh, public accounting firm was lots of hours and things like that. And I had my daughter and kind of stood back and said, "I'm gonna address my life a little differently here. I don't want to work 50, 60 hours a week and try to, you know, have family time and those kinds of things." So, um, I ultimately decided to sell out of that uh, partnership. And started work from home and uh, met my great partners. And we ultimately bought out another firm and formed a virtual CPA firm that is flexible so that um, parents and 
you know, you can take care of your kids, you can take care of your parents, you can do what you need to do in life and still keep your career going. Um, and it's really opened up a lot of opportunities for finding great talent to help our clients because there are a lot of people that, um, you know, leave the industry, you know, to do stuff for their families. Um, but they have tons of great experience. So it's been a good match to be able to provide that for our team, but also to provide that great talent to our clients as well. Yeah, especially as of late. I mean, the last two years and the whole virtual workforce, we actually just had somebody on a couple couple weeks ago and she does the same thing, but from a law firm perspective, she is a virtual law firm and it's really cool and it's it's done really well for her and her employees, so... Yeah, we really, uh, it, it really worked out well for us, especially in the last couple of years, because we were already <laughs> virtual. Yeah. You were ahead of the game, yeah. So. You had all <laughs> so your your, was, uh, your processes and everything in place. Yeah, so we're able to help clients through that as well, you know, being have, having already done those types of things. So today we are going to talk partner compensation. Um, so like I said, this is definitely a new one for me. I'm really excited because I actually don't think we've talked about this topic on the show. Um, so really explain to me, let's start off with understanding the importance around partner compensation. I mean, obviously we all know compensation is very important, but let's get into the nuggets. Like what, what does it really mean? Yeah, I think, I think it really boils down if I had to like boil it down into a nutshell and we'll talk about a little more, but I'd have to say it's a lot about, um, setting the expectation and meeting the expectation. You know, um, we as humans um, do better <laughs> when we know what the expectation is and it's met. When we have some expectation in our minds and it doesn't get met and there's disappointment, there's frustration, you know, there's things that go along with that. Um, so it really kind of boils down to, you know, making a structure that people understand and know what to expect and feel like they are being fairly compensated um, for their efforts and and also driving really everybody in the same direction with that compensation system, which we'll talk about more how how we need to look at that. But I think that's really what it comes down to is like you said, compensation is important. Everybody's got to make money and pay their bills and and whatnot. And they want to feel that their uh, all their efforts are being rewarded in a good way. So we want to set those expectations and and meet them. Yeah. Do you feel there's different expectations that need to be laid out for someone who's in a, a partner role versus somebody else who's maybe in a, a lower or more entry level role? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, when we're talking about, um, you know, your staff and, and your attorneys and those kinds of things, I mean, you're definitely going to set the salary and you may have some bonus components or something that's built in and obviously all their benefits. Um, but when it comes to the partner level, there's other components um, that come into it. I mean, the partners, you know, in a firm have that responsibility on their shoulders, right? Of running this business, keeping it going, putting money in when it needs it, you know, maybe not taking salaries when something's, you know, going sideways. There's a lot of that. Um, so there's that risk reward. So like any investment, right? We invest in something, we we expect to get a return on that investment. So we want to make sure that we're looking at, at that component. Um, so it gets a little more complex um, when you're talking about partner compensation because you have, you know, compensation for your efforts like you would for any other employee, you know, your normal compensation, bonus structures built in, but you also have, you know, looking for a return on investment. You have some tax situations that you may have to take care of depending on how you're structured. So you kind of have to fold all of that in. Yeah. There's a number of different, I guess, 
traditional uh, partner compensation models. You've got like uh, your straight up incentive pay uh, structure that's tied to key performance indicators. You've got your your kind of tenure based lockstep model, um, then modifications of that uh, merit based, uh, which you know again contemplates bonuses, and then just the straight up eat what you kill model where just basically uh you uh pay yourself uh profit and and that's it is there a particular model that you prefer or does it really depend on um how the firm operates and the size and all of that yeah i think um you know in the experience that we've had because like you said there's uh kind of these legacy (laughs) type models that have come and grown up over time and i think the problem with a lot of that is um, they don't put the firm first most of the time. Um, so you have a lot of, you know, things where it's you have silos of people working and getting paid, but you don't have this like group effort coming together. Um, so we we like to work with people and look at, you know, how do we make this firm grow? How do we make, because ultimately that's best for all the partners, right? Um, So we want to make sure that we're pulling it all together. So we like to look at it um, in a few components. Um, Base compensation uh, needs to be set, you know, according to experience and responsibility and just like you would pay an employee coming in, right? (laughs) Those kinds of things. Um, And then setting in a bonus structure um, component to that as well. And we tie that to, Uh, like a certain percentage of income typically, like we're going to say 25% of the income is going to go into the bonus pool. And then we do an allocation based on certain qualifications um, being met. Um, We also want to set aside a tax reserve or a distribution, depending again on how they're structured tax-wise. If they're a flow-through entity, you need to distribute some money for them to pay taxes for the income of the business. And then the return on investment component also needs to be built in there. So um, so we recommend looking at it kind of in those four components. And then as you get into setting compensation and doing the bonus uh, allocations, that's where it can get a little more uh, complicated and is a little more unique to, to each firm and what their goals are as a firm and what they're trying to accomplish. I am learning a lot today. Um, so how does a law firm, knowing there's so many different models out there, and I'm sure there's even other things that firms are doing, you know, their own operations, how do you know that your compensation model is working? Are there things that you should evaluate? What kind of analysis goes into that? Yeah, I think um, a lot of times it can be a difficult um, conversation, right, to have. It's, it's uncomfortable when you're setting each other's compensation and you're <laughs> talking yeah. about that. Or right? technically um, wanting to change it when someone's right. bringing in a ton of money and this could potentially affect how much you're actually taking home. Right, right. So um, so I think, um, you know, you kind of have to put your finger in the air, test, you know, see what's going on. How's everybody feeling about it? And I think that can be difficult if you don't have an outside person maybe talking to people because, you know, uh, everybody, um, not everybody, a lot of people don't want to ruffle with others, but underneath they might not be satisfied with what's going on. They may be frustrated, you know, those kinds of things. Now that can just come out, right, too. So if you have a lot of tension around it, obviously something needs to be addressed yeah. <laughs> um, there. Um, but we want to make sure that, um, you know, again, if we feel like partners are going in different directions and we're not cohesively 
um, moving the firm together, you know, in the same direction. And that comes back to strategic planning as well. But, you know, sometimes compensation models pull you away from that strategic model. Like if you're, you know, tied to like the (laughs) eat what you kill methodology, you're going to maybe not be wanting to do things that help the firm grow because that's affecting your compensation. You may not want to be shifting work to other attorneys or, you know, those kinds of things that can help them grow and get more experience and, you know, get up to the partner level. Because ultimately at some point, you know, you may want to retire out and you need other people, right, to come step into that to finance the retire, retirement, the buyouts, et cetera. It seems that not only do you have to have uh, a very um, elegant, elaborate set of financial skills, uh, but there's also an element of diplomacy here uh, because, you know, a lot of firms, I would think, especially on the small to mid-sized firms, rely on the business that's generated and the business that's, for all intents and purposes, um, owned by particular partners. So if you can't finesse this restructure, arguably you have attrition, which then blows the whole projected revenue model up. Um, so do you feel like you really have to have to be a diplomat? Um, and, and how do you navigate that when you're dealing, uh, with a situation like this, when you're dealing, cause, uh, it's it's my understanding based upon my very limited um, twenty eight years in in the legal industry. Uh, some attorneys, uh, yes, that's all. Some attorneys, particularly at the partnership level, may have um, uh, some some ego issues that you have. You're to work crazy. Around. I know. Come on, it, it's just a rumor, <laughs> but I've heard that that might come into play from time to time. Yeah, it absolutely is, and it is something that's very diplomatic. Um, you have to work through, especially. If if you're changing a structure, that's, I mean, change is always harder, right? (laughs) Coming in and setting something new up. Um, But I think the way we typically work through it, and it does have to be, I mean, everybody has to be bought in, right, to what you're going to do. But what we come in and discuss with them is we need to to uphold what's best for the firm and everyone in it in the long run. So, you know, in the long run, you need to, to maybe not take a ton of money right now, but maybe that's, you know, kind of reinvested in how things are distributed out um, because we need to look at the end game, right? We need to look at where do we want this business to get to? How are we going to retire out? What's our succession plan? Um, You can't have a, a good succession plan and never you know, have other attorneys get, get work that's coming down and get experience from the partner level sharing that experience. I mean, yes, they can go get their own clients and get their own experience. But then a lot of times what happens is they go on their own. They're like, why am I doing this for you? I'm not getting, I could be running my own business, right? So we want to kind of establish that structure that makes it um, good for everybody at the firm and in the long run. And we want it all cohesive. We don't want five different attorneys basically running five different practices. They just happen to be running them together, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One systems and processes, you know, because the business is as valuable as its systems and processes, right? So we want everybody to kind of buy into what is it we're trying to build? What are the benefits we're looking for down the road? And we build those um, requirements in. So, you know, again, in the pay structure and looking at the bonuses, um, is there going to be 
you know, certain revenue goals or a certain number of client goals. Sure, that, that that's going to be part of it, right? But we also want to compensate, you know, people that are maybe taking more of an administrative role in the firm. Somebody has to keep control of what's going on operationally too. And typically that's one of the partner attorneys. I mean, they may ha- also have an operations officer, which I recommend those kinds of things. I think it's good to set up those structures. Um, but we also want to make sure that we're not putting one partner's because they're maybe doing less billable hours because they're keeping control of the firm. We want to make sure that, you know, that still has value because that's what's building that firm up too. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I, I second your thought of the operations team. I like when, when I started at Lexicon two years, we do have a legal operations and training team in house. And it's just, it's amazing to see um, what a team with that background and what they do can really make happen. And it's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate regardless of the industry that not, everybody has a team like that in place. I think it's really, it's really dire. So I'm glad you brought that up. That kind of a side note, but yeah. But I think it's a good side note. I want to, I mean, not to get too far away from conversation, <laughs> but, but I mean, a lot of attorneys, like we just talked about, somebody will leave and, you know, I'm going to go start my own firm. Well, they're, they know how to be attorneys, but they're not entrepreneurs. Yeah. <laughs> so right. they have to learn that, that part. And that that's a hard, and the service-based business is very common yeah. um, for, for that. They, you're going to do it all themselves, save money, do this, which, you know, for a while that's fine, but you ultimately stagnate your growth if you don't put those foundations in yeah. um, too. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like I say it every day, so I hate to even say it, but it comes up literally in every conversation, every podcast we do. You know, you go to school to become a lawyer. You know, you don't understand. You're not taught how to run a business no. and, and how to do literally anything else. And No, speaking from experience, yeah. uh, you know, unless, unless things have <laughs> but changed. But you can podcast. I can podcast. Yes, I can. I could definitely do that. Um, well, I shouldn't say definitely. I guess the, the you're, audience You're fine. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> you came back, so. That's. That's right. So we'll do a poll later. Okay. 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 Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> so what's 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 really interesting and, and what I think one of the the really cool and interesting side effects, um, to use that that uh, rather awkward term, uh, one of the added benefits of retaining your services to do this kind of compensation analysis and structure and things like that is that you're really forcing the clients to stand in front of a mirror and identify who they are. And in that way, you're really helping them forge and refine a whole culture there. So really the the benefit of doing a compensation analysis goes beyond just the, you know, uh, just the, the, the daily till and how to divide the till, but it really helps kind of help your client firms define themselves. Yeah, because we're really looking at this holistically, right? I feel like sometimes I get that broken record too. It's it's all about strategic planning because it all folds into that, including your compensation. You want your compensation structure to support what you're trying to do as a firm. Um, and so like you're saying, you have to, yeah, you have to stop and look at yourself and say, well, why are we doing this? What is it we're trying to accomplish? Where are we trying to go? Um, and you have to kind of have all of that before you can really kind of hone in on the nitty gritty of the compensation or the operations or whatever it is you're trying to do. So, so absolutely there's, is that whole why and long-term short-term strategy you have to look at 
to be able to even delve into building the compensation system because every firm is unique, right? And what they're trying to accomplish, you know, where why they're there. I mean, yes, there's kind of some common core. We want to make money, make a profit, have a sustainable business, right? Those kinds of things. Yeah, but little things. No big deal. Yeah. Um, and you know, some some maybe want to do more. Um, you know, pro bono work, or they want to be known for X, Y, Z in the industry and and, in their communities. And so, you know, there's those kinds of things, but you want to, again, you don't want five people or three people or how many partners you have going in different directions, doing different things. You want that, that focused, okay, this is what we are as a firm and this is what we're going to do. So we're going to set some parameters around those things and tying that to goals and expectations that have playback into the bonus structure, right? So, okay, this is what we're setting at the beginning of the year. Here's your, you know, billable hours goal, if that's how you set it, or your revenue goal, depending on how you're structured with your billing. Here's your uh, ad- administrative things that you're going to take care of, you know, this year, this quarter. Um, we do like to do year and then break it into quarters. So it's, you know, easier to grab a hold of and get done. Um you know, then your maybe your realization rates. You know, we have a certain baseline. We want to make sure our realization rate on on our clients, you know, stays at X percentage. If you're above that, you get extra points to your bonus. If you're below that, you get some subtractions from your bonus, what have you. So again, it just encourages, you know, managing those things well, um, managing your team well, et cetera. So you build in, you know, certain points um that again go to your firm and what you're trying to accomplish um, in the firm. And then you build the structure around that and that. And most of the time we try to do as much as we can to to tie it to something hard, like a hard percentage or because it's very, you now some of those things are going to be a little arbitrary and it kind of comes down to a, the vote, you know, we're going to plug in this, you know, one through 10 number. What do we think as far as how much they've accomplished administratively that we set out at the beginning of the year or what have you? Um, I don't think you're ever going to totally get away from that. Um, but we try to, to minimize that as much as possible because that, again, that just gets complicated. But there's going to be a little bit of that, I think, in any structure that you have. But um, everybody's felt um, that we've worked with and going through this um, structuring has felt positive about um not only the compensation structure i think they're a little scared at first everybody gets this change well, it's like, yeah. oh, i don't know <laughs> do i want to be change a and be change around money yeah yeah people, <laughs> like, people well, just love change yeah right <laughs> especially so, when it affects their bottom line right right so you know going into it is kind of scary but everybody that we've gone through with and that's been open to it and wanting to grow their business and doing the best things it, they've been really happy with the outcomes not only in the compensation but really how it drives the business in the direction that they're trying to go because sometimes you know we don't think about it but we have our compensation system is pulling us away from where we're trying to get the business to go because of how it's structured so we want it all cohesively going in the same direction yeah. So that being said, it's it's not an easy task. So when you guys are working with a firm and you actually found some recommended changes and it's time to put those into place, time to implement those, do you have a, a standard process that you kind of run through? Obviously very high level because I'm sure you could dig into the nitty gritty and we'd be talking for days here, but how do you actually tackle that change? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think again, it's there's a lot of discussion and diplomacy, right, <laughs> in, in yes. the meetings that we're having, um, but also a lot of direct, you know, conversations. Like, okay, we're coming in to help you get your firm to its best future, right? Um, so we have to make sure that everybody's part of that. But we start off with looking at kind of our our 
income and our cash flow and what we're going to allocate to different parts. You know, again, we have the base compensation, bonus structure, you know, what cash reserves, making sure we're all set up from that side because that all has to be taken care of too. So then once that's done, we know what percentage is going to towards the bonus. We know what percentage is going towards the return on investment. And those are the return on investment in the tax side is those are set. Those are set percentages based on the money that you're making. So they know what to expect. And we usually recommend paying that out quarterly. Um, and then we also have you know, the the bonus structure. And again, we recommend paying that out quarterly. So we're going to try it. So it's not like, oh, we're going to do this. And at the end of the year, it's going to be what it is, right? It's going to be, we're going to go a little bit at a time and work through, you know, where are the problems, um, those kinds of things so that we can tweak it. Um, you know, typically they stay pretty consistent in, in what we set up, but I think having it in chunks like that helps people get more comfortable with it over time. Like, okay, I'm, I'm just, we're going to do this for a quarter, going to make sure everybody's comfortable, and then we're going to move to the next thing. And we can also have separate conversations with each partner too, to make, to see how they're feeling. Um, and they can be candid with us and they don't have to feel like they're hurting anybody else's feelings or, you know, those kinds of things so that we can make sure that everybody's still on board and things are going well. The larger a firm is or the more partners that you're dealing with with a client firm clearly you're reducing the percentage or the likelihood that everybody that there's going to be unanimous consent on this how how do you deal with those um you know hardcore holdout partners i mean clearly some of it's got to be internal governance and internal politics but but how do you really um deal with uh, a partner who is clearly on the the minority side of the vote of the decision how do you how do you work with them sure yeah I mean that can be challenging um you know I think I think it kind of comes back to partially is this the right person in the right seat, right? Do they really want to be part of this company? Are they really, you know, um, and I'm not suggesting we're going to kick them out, but I'm just saying, you know, we want that fit, right? It's got to be, you know, if, if we don't have, if we have somebody in the firm, especially at the partner level, that is not on the same vision path and mission path that the rest of the partners are, I think we have a different problem. So we kind of sometimes have to deal with that. And some, and some partners have decided, you know, Hey, you're right. I'm, this is not where I want to go with my life. This is, you know, different than, and what, and that's okay because you can't, you know, um, you can't have different visions and keep that cohesiveness yeah. going. In the it would have happened eventually anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, um, now in other circumstances, I mean, I, I can't say I've run into too many other than that, just having a larger conversation about it and what are we going to do? Um, and of course it depends on how much ownership they have and control, you know, those kinds of things a little bit as well. Um, but you know, typically as we go through this process, people see the end game and what they're trying to accomplish. And they're usually work willing to work, you know, through those things. Um, so we just, we try to talk to them about the long-term benefits and, you know, really point those things out um, and just have those discussions with them. Because ultimately as a partner, increasing the value of the business is in your best benefit, right? I mean, it's, it's for you, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so that's, you know, so seeing that, you know, cause it, you're going to get compensation a long way, but you're also building this asset, right? This value that you're going to ultimately, you know, sell off. The, the firm's going to buy it back or your younger partners are going to come in and buy it and you're going to retire out or what have you. So, you know, if you're 
really in your own best interest, you want to grow that, right? Because that's just going to be even more of a benefit for you later. So typically we can make people see that. Um, but uh, sometimes there's just, as we go through this strategy, because some firms have never really stood back and said, where are we going? What are we doing? What are we about? You know, and so there are times where, you know, we have divergence of partners that have different thoughts on that and and they decide to do something different. Yeah. And you mentioned long term, too. So looking at this long term, say you're working with a firm, they put some changes into place, have a new model. How do you ensure it's a success moving forward? You know, should that firm have certain checkpoints, you know, every couple of years that they analyze this or do that to make sure it's still working in their favor? How do you kind of maintain? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, coming back to the overall holistic approach, I mean, we're, we, we're looking at stuff if we're if we're working with them as their CFOs or if they do it themselves, that's fine too. But they want to be making sure that at a minimum, they're having quarterly meetings to see what's going on with the firm. Look at the finances, look at the KPIs, look at the operations, where are the problems, you know, working through all of that. Um, you know, we use the traction model um, primarily uh, as what we do for meetings. Um, we do have some tweaks that we make to it, but, um, but just having that cadence of meetings, annual meetings, you know, to make sure everybody's still on the same page and that we're meeting our goals or if we're making, you know, we need to make directional shifts. Um, but it's, um, I think one of the things that falls to the wayside a lot of times in busyness of business ownership is standing back and looking at your business as a business and running it that way, especially when you're one of the service providers, which almost always is what the case is with service-based business, right? So you have to force those things in. Um, And I can tell you from experience in our own firm, from experience working with clients, once you start forcing that in, you'll be amazed with what you can accomplish and how you can grow. It's pretty crazy how much that changes. So yeah, you want to have those touch points quarterly, annually, and that's looking at the whole business, but also, you know, compensation is one of those things. Let's see how it's working. Um, Is there some other KPI that, you know, we need to be considering, or maybe this one's not really as important anymore. You know, we need to make a tweak to it. So yeah, they're always kind of reviewing those things. I think we touched on a lot of really good stuff here. Uh, Katina, is there anything else major that you think it's really important to get across to our listeners today in regards to partner compensation? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to just... um, don't put your head in the sand. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, conversation. definitely don't do that in regards um, to anything, so, really. But yeah, really, exactly. Because, it, and, you know, though you're busy, I think it's one of those things, like, if you just, you meet it head on, you get a good structure, you make the changes you need to make. Um, uh, because I think, you know, especially with partner compensation, we tend to maybe avoid creating problems or causing a well or what have you. But um, it's really one of those things that not only is it good for the current partners, but also up and coming partners. Because again, we're setting those expectations and they know, okay, this is how this works. Like I know what I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to how this is going to come, you know, as we're looking to also admit either additional partners or retire other partners out. Um, So it really just comes back to that systems and structures in the whole business. So really just 
digging in and saying, now we're going to do this. We're going to build a great business. And this is part of that. Well, thank you so much for today's tips. I, I learned a lot. Like I said, this is not my strong suit. So it was, it was interesting to have you on. And then Yale, who's obviously been in the legal industry for so long, which I had no clue. Um, you know, I try to educate people, but I always learn something when I'm here too. So well, I learned it was something awesome. too. I, you Perfect. know, you, you never, you never stop learning. Yeah. You never stop learning. So no, this is, this has been great. I mean, uh, uh, the takeaway is, is uh, is definitely that um, executive compensation is not just about who gets paid how much. It's about who you are as a company, as an institution, uh, and where you want to go and how you're going to get there. So really, uh, you know, it does. It literally starts at the top, <laughs> and that can help you define your entire enterprise or redefine your entire enterprise. Very enlightening. Thank you, Katina. It was a pleasure having you on. And everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Lex Factor, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.